Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So you think if you just don't say anything, you won't have to say anything at all for the next 20 minutes? No, I just am <laughs> waiting to see how hot it's going to be. Uh, um, well, to well, be no, clear. The, the, the people who didn't hear the <laughs> first few minutes of this, Holly just said, I'll let you be on the hot seat today. And I'm <laughs> going to see how hot it's going to be. Right. Well, the, the precept to that is um, often we come to our podcast without having an agenda, but usually there's a thread that we're following. And uh, maybe in the midst of kind of transitioning topics, um, in the midst of transitioning who's doing the majority of the teaching, um, we don't have a thread. So we could have a little spontaneity today. <laughs> but I thought that I would um, start by reading a paraphrase of a verse that feels really, really relevant. And you know, I'm not, um, I'm not a pick up the Bible and read it kind of gal. You once told me, I remember once calling you in frustration going, what am I supposed to make of this? This was maybe 10 or so years ago. And you said, I don't recommend reading the Bible. I recommend reading books about the Bible. Right. Um, and that was great advice because books about the Bible tend to be much more expansive than our literal reading of the Bible. And we can't help right. but read something literally when we first read it. You know, if something says that apple is red, we're going to be, we'll believe that the apple is red, you know? <laughs> um, yep. Anyhow, so uh, I, I'm helping to facilitate a meditation practice during Lent, the Lenten season. And um, one of my colleagues in that, put forth that maybe we should read from second Corinthians number five and the passages from the message and I'll read my rewrite of it and this will begin our hot seat <laughs> okay okay so it's second Corinthians 5 16 through 21 and this is the paraphrase of it we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look we look at the Christ that way once and got it all wrong we certainly don't look at him that way anymore now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Christ gets a fresh start, is created anew. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. All this comes from the great mystery who settled the relationship between us and it, and then called us to settle our relationships with one another. Sacred mystery put the world square through the example of Christ and gave a world a fresh start by offering forgiveness and commanding us to love one another to reconcile. We have been given the task of telling everyone what sacred mystery is doing. We ought to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into the work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with sacred mystery. It's already a friend with you. How do we become friends with a mystery? We follow Christ and to follow Christ is to deeply know one another the true self and God. That's good. Synchronicity. Mm -hmm. I just started listening an audio book on the way to work today of Jim Finley talking about Meister Eckhart. 
Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And um, I'm also charged with the responsibility of giving a homily sometime coming up during the Lenten season on what it means to have the mind of Christ in you, have this mind, Paul said in Philippians, have this mind in you, which is in Jesus. And I wonder, what the hell does that mean? Except I can't say hell in church like that. So, <laughs> Hey, why not? <laughs> why <Yeah>. not? <laughs> yeah. So I do, I, I, I do, I want to back up a little bit. I don't recommend people just picking up the Bible and reading it. I, I think that it takes a lot of work first to kind of understand what the document is that you're holding. And the big mistake in evangelical Christianity is considering that the Bible is infallibly true and even worse, that it was written with us in mind. Right. Right. Not true, not helpful yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, one of the things that strikes me about this um, kind of paraphrase, and it's not too far off from the original passage, um, is, and I sent you something to this effect last night via text, is that the, the real emphasis is on how we are with each other. Mm-hmm. How we get up and do God's work in the world, as you said last Sunday, as Wayne Day said every Sunday for as long as I was under his um, pastorship, I guess. (laughs) Um, And this is what this is about. How do we go out and be God's people in the world? Well, we put aside our differences, we reconcile, we find connection, we find ways to see ourselves in each other, um, to become friends. And we can all nod along with that and go, that sounds great, right? This is this, that's exactly what's needed. Let's set aside our differences. And we, that might last for about the 20 minutes that we would share a cup of tea, but then we would find something about that person that really got under our skin or really, you know, just really annoyed us. So I think what I wrestle with a lot is what does that prolonged healing look like? What does it look like to be in the process of healing, reconciling, and connecting with others who are remarkably different from us? And how do we sustain it? Well, you sustain it by having a daily spiritual practice. I knew you were going to say something about that. <laughs> yep. And, um, you know, the, there, there is a man whom I consider to be one of the living mystics in the Christian tradition today. His name is Lawrence Freeman. Mm-hmm. He is a Benedictine monk. He... Um, I think currently is in Ireland. I am not sure about that. Um, but he, there, there was a, there was a, <clears throat> a Christian mystic by the name of John Maine mm-hmm. who really got very, very interested in exactly what you're talking about, about how do we practice and maintain non-dual mind. And uh, Maine um, died in Lawrence Freeman kind of took on his work and he started these contemplative societies. There are about a hundred of them all over the world now that um, they've started. And John Main is a Benedictine. Mm. And John Main would say, if he were on this podcast or Lawrence Freeman would say, if he was on this podcast, the way you accomplish what you just asked 
is by following the rule of Benedict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever read the rule of Benedict, it's boring, but if you've <laughs> ever read the rule of Benedict, there's no content in it. Right. It's exactly the thing that I wish you could resurrect and read the text that you sent me last night. It's exactly the content of the text that you sent me last night. Mm -hmm. It's not about what to believe. It's about how to behave. It's about what to do. Right. And the first rule, of, the first rule of Benedict is that if somebody seeks to enter the monastery, leave them on the outside three days, so they'll have time to see if they really want to do that. Or not. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, the text says, consider this remarkable fact. In the Sermon on the Mount, there is not a single word about what to believe, only words about what to do and how to be. By the time the Nicene Creed is written, only three centuries later, there is not a single word in it about what to do and how to be, only words about what to believe. So what we can learn from that is that what to do and how to be if not sustained by daily spiritual practice, if not sustained maybe by a loving, beloved community, mm -hmm. can make one anxious. Because then we look for rules and we look for sort of ways to legislate our behavior and our, and our beliefs, as opposed to just trusting that that sort of heart will pull us forward. And, and you just anticipated the thought that bubbled up in me in reaction to that. That is that if you remember one of the great thrusts of the evangelical right, I don't hear it as much right now as I have at times in the past, is we want to erect the Ten Commandments on public property. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's because they want to legislate how other people should behave. Right, right. You know, there, we mentioned a little bit earlier in the non-recorded part about the idea of a bell curve. And I really do think that there's a very significant part of any population that falls into the sort of like mushy middle and that mm -hmm. mushy middle will follow whatever the dominant voice or whatever the dominant leadership um, says or does. And it will basically be good most of the time. But there are these tales of a bell curve that can be really, really loud. And we might call one tail the sort of um, negative end of a tail and the other tail the positive end of the tail. Um, we might call both different kinds of extremes, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so often that mushy middle is swayed by whichever voice is the loudest or the most powerful. And I'm kind of wondering lately, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've had the thought because it seems true that bullies almost always win in the moment. So the loudest, meanest, most divisive voice wins in the moment. And that to pursue peace is a long game. Violence is reactive. Violence is impulsive very often. If we were to think through our impulsive feelings or the ways that we feel angry, we often wouldn't act on them. But when we are allowed to put all our energy toward that anger and violence and believe that that's the answer, then they're acted upon. So I just have this, I, I don't really know how better to describe that other than saying again, that it seems like bullies win in the moment and that peace, love and justice is a long game. 
you know, one of the one of the people that I credit with um, helping St. Paul's have the stance of both integrity and inclusiveness that we have is Dr. Jim Bankston. Mm -hmm. Him a lot, and I'm so appreciative of him. And I asked Jim one time. Um, I don't think this is on the interview that we did in Ordinary Life. He and I did in Ordinary Life. It was in a private conversation. But I, he was talking, I asked him something about what he thought one of the keys to a successful ministry was. And he said, uh, not to react. I've, I've, I've come to believe that in situations where there's turmoil and conflict, if you just are patient and wait, things will resolve to the right side. Mm. And, and I think that to, to a large degree that that's true. I know there are exceptions to that rule, but that certainly seemed to be the way that he guided this church during the time that he was here for almost 20 years. And the church has taken a direction that is unlike most um, churches that I know today. Mm. So remains to be seen how things will go with a great divorce when it happens in the Methodist church, but we're moving in that direction. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I can so appreciate um, the equanimity of non-reaction. And then I think, well, what does that mean about not what we would refer to as reactivity, but about responding, right? Because to say we don't, we shouldn't react um, can be taken as passivity, which I don't think Dr. Bankston is a passive person at all. Um, but we can take non-reactivity as a permission to be passive. But I think about the responsiveness of those who pushed, who pursued peace, justice, compassion anyway. So let's take the nonviolent civil rights um, protesters of the 1950s and 60s, those who are even still engaged in nonviolent civil rights movement today, um, they persisted. It's a response to oppression and injustice, right? Um, but they practice non-reactivity. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that those engaged in the um, nonviolent civil rights movement in the 60s, they had a weekly meeting around non-reactivity. So, you know, Martin Luther King studied Thich Nhat Hanh's um, mm -hmm. way, and he also studied Mahatma Gandhi. So he, he taught non, part of their leadership was to learn and to teach and to be in non-reactivity. So I think like just to tease that out a little bit, non-reactivity is different than non-responsiveness. One can be non-reactive and still be responsive to injustice, to um, lack of compassion, to lack of love. And that feels like an important point to make only to say that we have to keep the sort of violent reactivity over here and always be conscious of it, but we have to respond anyway, not react to it, not give it fuel, not keep throwing gasoline on the fire, but respond to the energy of that in some ways with the opposite kind of energy. Yeah, I think that right now, globally, we're watching this play out as Russia continues to bombard Ukraine and uh, other Western nations are trying to figure out a way to respond to this without pouring more gasoline on the, on the flames. Um, I do not 
watch a whole lot of TV, but the things that I have seen coming out of Ukraine are just absolutely heartbreaking. And it seems to me that surely there must be some way to, I know we're doing intervention with sanctions and all of that, and yet to see these families torn asunder, their homes torn asunder, children killed, um, it's just it's just heartbreaking. Just yeah. Absolutely heartbreaking. And I don't have a magic wand about what to do about that. Yeah. But yeah. It's a good thing that God didn't make me king. I'd probably go blow something up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think that that while they're they're not reacting with or the UN um, states and countries are not reacting with equal violence and military might because we know what Russia is capable of. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I, I just memory just popped in my mind. I remember in a sermon that Dr. Bankston preached one time, he told a story about this pastor who was seeing. Actually, I think the story involved a rabbi who was seeing um, a couple had come to see him in his home, and the, this couple was having a horrendous fight. And uh, so the rabbi listened to the husband's point of view, and after he was through, he said, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then the wife countered with her point of view, and the rabbi listened, and he said, you're right. You're absolutely right. And so the couple left confused and the rabbi's wife, who had been in another room, who had overheard all this all the time, she confronted her husband rabbi and said, look, you said the husband is right. You said the wife is right. They can't both be right. And he said, you're right. <laughs> so it is an appreciation of the perspective that people have about their own <clears throat> point of view being right at the time everybody Putin thinks he's right mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 there's um you're I'm reminded of two things one is that that Buddhist story around the um, battle that was happening and the emperor sent um his men to go collect able-bodied young soldiers and there was a farmer who ran a farm and he had a son who helped him run that farm and the son was taming the horse and fell off um, of the wild horse and breaks his leg and everyone says oh how terrible your son your only helper come that broke his leg and and the father says well we'll see whether it's good whether it's bad right and the story goes on and on until finally the emperor's men come and they're looking for able-bodied men and his son can't go fight because he has this broken leg and, you know, and says, well, how terrible that your son can't go fight. And the, and the father still maintains that equanimous attitude of, well, we'll see. Um, and, and, and there's a, there's a real beauty in that sort of like non-reactive response to negativity. We can be held captive by being in reaction to things we see on Twitter, things we see on Instagram, things we see on Facebook, things we see on the news. There's, a, there's something for us to react to in every second of our everyday lives. Um, and to be in the position of kind of, well, we'll see how this plays out is, is of non-dual mind, is of, uh, indicates a, a hefty daily spiritual practice of um, practicing peace and equanimity. Um, 
And when is it appropriate to respond? <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, I, th I think you said something about this a couple of weeks ago, but we've become, especially in the West, so incredibly focused on sort of the individual rights, the individual needs, um, to the point that our society could be called narcissistic. Um, I don't know if those were your words exactly, but we've become so focused on the individual that we don't have this sort of view of, well, we'll see collectively for the whole. We tend to re reference just ourselves. And that's another kind of tension I see is this, and I've called it autonomous and embedded. We are unique individual and beings, but we're also embedded in this whole society, starting with our family of origin, then the family we grow, then our communities, then our city, then our state, et cetera, et cetera. Every single one of us is autonomous and also embedded. I'm just thinking there's, there's growth there to not only think with the autonomous mind, um, with the individual mind. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm thinking, you mentioned Martin Luther King, I'm thinking that, you know, since the 60s, um, certainly um, as a result of protests and other activity, we have had significant change in the laws, not change necessarily in people's hearts. Yeah. But we have seen some changes in laws that have been more just, more distributive. It's going to take another podcast to talk about the reactive stuff that's going on in our culture right now about the move to the right, the move to disenfranchise people of color, especially of property and voting rights and that sort of thing. But that's, that's a scary trend that we have going on right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure that the what's been won um, legally it isn't indicated on the relational level. And, right. um, you know, we, we have such a deep foundation in um, in a racial hierarchy in this country and a class hierarchy in this country that I, it's going to take a long time to undo. And whether our whole nation will enter into a daily spiritual practice is as of yet unknown. <laughs> Well, it has happened historically. Yeah. There have been periods nationally and globally, uh, particularly in the Western world. I'm not talking now about in the wheat in in the East, but in the Western world, there have been periods that have been even the label "Great Awakening." Yes, and um, God knows we need one right yeah. now. Well, those moments are we, always available to us. Always. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking while listening to this new, to me, book by Jim Finley on Meister Eckhart, that our country right now doesn't seem to have a Nelson Mandela, a Desmond Tutu, somebody who is a lightning rod for justice and inclusivity. I think it has many actually to push to push against that a little bit. I think that what has happened, and I see this as progress, is that that the role of the single charismatic leader has been fractalized. There are um, leaders and pockets of leaders in almost every community right now. Um, okay. 
you know, people that are leading um, movements for environmentalism, people who are uh, leading the way for uh, Black Lives Matter, for inclusive literature, for LGBTQIA rights, and those are happening in pockets. And I wonder if we're sort of in, in this in-between period where those pockets gain momentum, where those pockets gain, um, I don't know if the right word is authority, I, I, it's not the word I want to use, but w maybe those pockets gain more attention. Um, so I don't think that the single, single charismatic leader is actually a sustainable model. It's still a patriarchal model, right? It's still a, a kind of pyramid model, if you will. And you remember the time we were talking about Jesus opening up the pyramid and saying, come on mm -hmm. in, right? I, I, I think mm -hmm. we're in that sort of in-between stage where maybe the pyramid is being flooded and natural leaders will emerge. But I think that that leadership needs to be shared across communities. That may be the gift of the internet that there's a more readily available connection between communities very quickly that, you know, people can share um, what's happening. What is making you giggle? <laughs> well, I was just thinking that just yesterday, somebody said to me in thinking about what's going on in this country and as well as the world, this person said, I know this sounds naive, but what we need are more Mr. Rogers random acts of kindness. Oh, for sure. Dang, if we all, all walked around in a cardigan and sneakers and <laughs> said hello to our neighbor a little bit more often, we, we might realize we're not so different, but yeah. Well, I must go. Yeah. I hope something that we said made sense. <laughs> Is that your felt sense? Nothing we said made sense. <laughs> well, at least I have fun well. being with you, and I hope other people have enjoyed that as well. I appreciate yeah. you. Thanks. I appreciate you too. We can. Bye-bye.